welcome to the Pickup WNBA Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Eicher. And I'm your other host, Freddie Rivas. What's up? And this is episode 71. Yes. How are you doing? I am good. We are uh, we're recording fairly, fairly early for us, which is different yeah. than what we've been doing as of late, which is like going very late. Really late at night. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because we're like, man, I'm not used to getting up so early. It's like 9 a.m. <laughs> I know. I know. The heavy majority of the working world is like, pardon me? Yeah, like they've already arrived. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> like if I'm at work at 9, I'm late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're, you know, we're, we have a different lifestyle. We do. We do. You know, we're up late and all that good stuff. And mm-hmm. even though, like, I'm naturally a night owl. Like, I envy morning people. Yeah. Like, these people who get up early and, like, go for a run and stuff. I'm like, how in the hell do you do it? Shout out to you, though. I feel like, shout out to them. I feel like I am a rare midday assassin. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not a morning person. But I'm also not an all-nighter. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not an all-nighter. My peak hours, my peak hours are 3 to 7 p.m. Yeah, me too. Unless I'm forced to do a bunch earlier. And then I will rewire myself. My day is like 9 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m. to 1 a.m., 2 a.m. That's your day? That's like that's like my general window of existence. Wow. My non-sleep existence. Yeah, you know what? Same, actually. I don't go to bed until at least 1 a.m. If I'm in well, bed earlier than that, I'm lying awake for a while. Yeah. Um, I'm really People glad we like, figured wow. this out. People listening are like, wow, these two are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the WNBA offseason. If you're tuning in, thank you so much for joining us. We do actually have a lot to talk about, believe it or not. Um, First of all, we want to start off with this really interesting piece from the Washington Post. Um, Shout out to the writer of this, Ben Strauss. Uh, He wrote uh, a very lengthy piece about the WNBA and its relationship with the media. So as we know, the league is trying to grow. The league is growing, Mm -hmm. but there are concerns around its media coverage, right? Like the WNBA is fighting for what is like 5% of the sports media coverage, I think is what they currently have, something around there. Right. And, you know, they're fighting to get more recognized, more seen, all these things. But at the same time, from a media perspective, which I feel the Washington Post articles predominantly showcasing, although I think they do, they do try to show both sides, but it is the media talking about the media. Um, yeah. You know, they talk about how there's some restricted access that the media has and sometimes a lack of cooperation from players, but also... Um, it kind of dives into the history of why that lack of cooperation exists. And it's kind of, it's a very fascinating read. Highly recommend. Um, we have quite a few thoughts on it. Freddie, where would you like to start? Yeah, I think you sort of, you know, hit the main thesis of this, uh, in my opinion, which is it's media talking about media. Mm-hmm. So it is an open exploration of, 
I think the responsibilities that W players have to promote the game and some examples of potential failings, such as, uh, you know, Sabrina, UNESCO, uh, John Quell Jones, um, not being available for, uh, you know, media after they lost the WNBA finals or the media not having access to like the kind of like champagne celebration that we, we are so familiar with, with other sports, particularly the NBA. Um, and I think there is some suggestion of um, what the media has done wrong as well. But I do think that it's more so pointed at the players. Um, I think there's a lot of good points in this article. I do think the thrust of the article is insinuating that the players are not seizing this moment of growth and promoting their game enough, which I disagree with. And I think that the main reason I disagree with it is highlighted in this article. So like one of the counterpoints uh, I'm just going to quote is um, who is saying this? Uh, This is a, Uh, Terry Jackson, who's executive director of Women's National Basketball Players Association. um, She said, uh, our players are the most accessible professional professional athletes out there. They stop and talk to anyone and everyone, almost to their detriment. They don't turn down interviews. We're looking for established, credible outlets and writers to be in and around this space to help grow the game. And I think that from our personal experience, going to the preseason game, in Toronto, I have never, ever experienced that amount of proximity and openness with athletes. And I get that they were doing a Canada promotion, but it it just does seem like, like W athletes take pride in promoting the game. So I feel like the idea that they're not available enough runs counter to what I see personally. Right. I think that's a great point. Um, When we did go to um, that preseason game that happened in Toronto back in May, we had access to every single player. Yeah. Um, And if we want like after practice, and then if we wanted to request um, an interview with a player um, after the game, there was a media rep where we could request it if we so wanted to. So, yeah, I mean, the access is there. I do think that, like, so the Liberty got fined Mm $25,000 for not speaking to the media after, for certain players not speaking to the media after they lost the championship. And then some players were fined individually Mm -hmm. $2,000. And then in 2021, the Phoenix Mercury were fined $10,000 for the same thing. I don't know why those fines are so different. Maybe it was like few, maybe it was just Diana who refused to talk to to the media as opposed to like three players. I'm not really sure um, the discrepancy in fines there, but just to let you know that that's what happened. Um, And I can understand that because I do think, um, you know, there is a bit of a sore loserness to that. Mm -hmm. I will give the media that. I don't think that that's particularly cool, especially when your other teammates are doing it and you're not. It's like, you've all suffered the same loss. So I feel like 
if it, you know some people might say that like it's not fair to ask a team to speak immediately after losing a mm -hmm. championship but that's got to be like a league wide thing you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i think enough people do it and i haven't heard anyone specifically come out and say like hey this isn't fair that i do think that that is an obligation that they should do um the criticism about not being allowed in the locker room to see the champagne celebrations personally i feel like we saw so much aces celebrations and we got so much coverage of their celebrating that i didn't feel like i missed this one specific thing until i read it in this article and i went oh yeah we didn't see that do you know what i mean yeah yeah and like i'll jump in and say i wonder how much of you know the media's role because there's a lot in this article about like you know do the players know their responsibility with media are they like are the pr teams sort of you know trained well is there too much turnover in their employment um, you know, there's also some suggestions that the, the media, you know, uh, can't pronounce certain athletes names. Um, and there's sort of this kind of like uneducated aspect, just like a non-credentialed aspect, that sort of thing. But I sort of wonder how much the, you know, the pressure here from this article, you know, this, this kind of idea is about recreating what exists in other leagues, such as the champagne celebration, such as the post-game interview. And I'm curious if if it's sort of a bit too focused on on just existing in the way that other things do. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know what the creative solution is to that. But, yeah, I guess, like, my question to the the thrust of this article would be, is the job of the media, is the job of the players in the W to recreate the same types of sound bites that other leagues do? Is that the best way to go forward? Right. I mean, I guess like I could see why that's the thing that they're used to. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It makes sense. It's like, it's how they've done it. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think like the league is still very much in the driver's seat in that sense, where if they're like, this is what we're providing then that's what they're providing, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think, like, I what I think the article does really well is demonstrate kind of, like, you know, where there's gaps to fill in terms of the relationship yeah. between the league and media. So I think that's super interesting to me, and I hope that, like, the league and Kathy Engelbert, like, read that not to say that they should like force players into like certain uncomfortable situations definitely mm -hmm. not but maybe like there's some work into just like i don't know standardizing some of it i'm not sure because no, i didn't uh, i never felt like yeah. i didn't have access to that game in canada but but i think if like someone from the media is like saying like hey like this league says they want coverage and they're not doing enough or not doing certain things to get the traditional coverage that other sports leagues get that's worth paying attention to yeah definitely and 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 I think that the the league and the representatives are 
curious about it. And, you know, the word conversation comes up a couple times in this article, which I think is the right way to frame this. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think I've, I've, I, I always struggle with our right as an audience, as a media to watch players that have just lost a game squirm. And I wonder how much value we take from that. Like how much do we need to want to, how much are we trained to be like, you know, um, yeah, John Quill just lost this game. I want to see her on the podium. Is she going to break down? Is she going to be angry? Is she going to be accountable? And it's like, we want to see how these people react in this, like in, in this moment. And I wonder how much of, of, yeah, like how much we deserve that and how much that's sort of just kind of the status quo. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think some of the well, it is the quotes do come quo. from that, right? So, yeah, but I mean, I feel like, I don't know, like personally, I feel like it's not fair for all your teammates to have to do it and then you don't do it. Yeah, I'm 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 all the way with you there. I think that anytime, you know, you even see that with the with the, you know, certain athletes when it's like there's a big loss and everybody shakes hands and they leave. Um, you know, a big part of sport is being a good loser yeah. and a good winner, right? So we don't like seeing people or the perception of the game is over and they can't accept what happened. Um yeah, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I think another part of this too, uh, and I'm just going to quote this article, um, is, you know, is the issue of race and coverage. Um, yeah. So there's a part here that says, uh, multiple people involved in coverage of the league said media outlets played a role too. Nothing that most reporters, uh, sorry, noting that most reporters are white and the vast majority of players are people of color. Demographics across sports media skew heavily white and male, more than 80% for both groups. So I think that, you know, particularly when you see coverage of uh, of white W players um, is, is a lot higher. There, I think, is a, also this like element of natural mistrust, which, you know, when you address one thing, you also have to sort of address the other. And, and, and again, I do think this article does a great job of kind of bringing up a, a bunch of different points including that. Yeah. And it's good that they brought that up because that's very real. And we've seen players be pretty outspoken about that in the past, actually. So it's a very like known thing. And I agree. It adds to the distrust between players and media as well. And yeah, I mean, I think these media outlets probably do need to hire more women, more women of color to, to cover the sport. Cause like, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and also, yeah. So they're actually speaking to somebody that they can kind of like relate to a bit more. Cause you see other people like, you know, like LaChina Robinson have a really great relationship with players. You know what I mean? Not to say that a, that a white male reporter can't have a good relationship with players. I'm not trying to say that that's not possible, but when you're looking at 80%, Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's an unfair balance. I think like, yeah, it's a status quo thing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, also, too, it's like really um, disappointing that like the um, the athletic had like a, a sort of pilot project with the league and they hired a bunch of freelancers to cover different WNBA beats and then they folded the whole project. So that's like 
super disappointing. Hopefully they bring that back. I think that would really help um, both in terms of like taking up more than that 5%, but also having um, different people cover the sport as well. So a lot of growth to be had here, mm -hmm. but uh, certainly a, a very interesting read and a very interesting conversation and uh, something that I hope the league kind of like takes note of and we'll see if the league starts to adopt more traditional uh, sports media practices or if they make any adjustments uh, going into next season. Yeah. And, you know, we know what's out there. Show me the footage of Tarasi kicking down the door. Yes. <laughs> like, listen, tell me that. We don't, they the don't water. have locker room access. That's why we don't see that stuff. Well, I want a, I want like a, I want a quotes from every teammate being like, <laughs> it took three kicks. It was one kick. She kicked right through it. Like I, I want the detail. How'd the door break? Yeah. Um, yeah. We need that. Yeah. I really, God, I'd love to see that. Um, anyway, let's, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about Candace Parker mm -hmm. and uh, her free agency and how she's going to have us guessing all season. Yes. Also, is she going to retire? Yes. That's also a huge part of this. I she she was playing on an injured foot before she sat out the rest of the season and opted in for surgery. Apparently something like 80% of her foot was fractured. Yeah, I didn't realize That's, it was that bad. That is messed up. Oh my god, poor Candace. That sounds extremely painful. Um where are you at with this, Freddie? Uh, I mean, I think you said it well. It's this sort of it, it, it started last season. Um, it was this ongoing, like you know, me and you were sort of like, okay, is it like Fowles, Bird, and Parker? And then it was kind of like, okay, it looks like Candace is coming back. Wow, Candace is coming to the Aces. Um, and looked amazing when she played. But you know, I, I think what's really complicated about this is that. Candace very clearly has like a perfect transition lined up, like is a, you know, famous broadcaster while being a, you know, amazing athlete still, um, you know, not an MVP anymore, but really still an impactful special player. So yeah. And then, and then bring that in with, we don't understand the chronic pain that some of these athletes play with mm -hmm. uh you know i think about della don as well and mm -hmm. you know what's going to happen with her but like yeah you know there's this quote here where she says if i'm healthy i'm gonna play but i'm not gonna play in pain anymore it's too important they're trick-or-treating the the crossing over my kids it's too important if i'm healthy i'm gonna play and and she's referring to you know going trick-or-treating with her kids and like not and like having to be in the car and like that is such a good example of 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 you know feeling like you're missing out on mm. something that's so much bigger than basketball. It's like you you're going trick or treating with your kids and you can't walk. Mm. That is, you know, we think about like, oh, you know, is she going to play? Is she going to be on the court? And this is like a that's like a life thing. So, you know, weighing those things is as much as, you know, you brought it up, like, we're going to be wondering. I think that's why, because, you know, it seems like she's going to be wondering as well. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, it would be sad to see her um, retire. Obviously, it'll be sad no matter when it happens. Um, but, you know, just you watch, you know, that first half of the 
of the Aces season, you don't know that that could be your last game or not, you know? Yes. And that's kind of, that's kind of wild. So, you know, I hope just as a fan of the game that she is able to do one more season, but also, you know, I obviously don't want her to be in chronic pain for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully she's able to have that, you know, that farewell type season. I think that would be really nice for her the same way Sue Bird did. And Sylvia Fowles did, right? Like, it'd be good for her to be able to go out that way, um, kind of more on her terms. That's what I, that's what I hope for her. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you, you brought up Sue Bird, which is perfect because I think that, um, you know, well, I mean, Fowles was very injured her last season as well, but, uh, yeah, you want this sort of celebration to her. And yes. I think and she deserves you, that. She deserves that. Yeah. Like, you know, a special, special player. But also sometimes the body, you know, in, in basketball and other and other sports, it's sort of like when you when you reach the end, part of the reason is because it's breaking down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kobe was like that too, was last year. Totally. A lot, a lot of players. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, praying for the best for Candace there. Um the Athletic, speaking of The Athletic, wrote a great question, 12, uh, great article, sorry, 12 teams, 12 questions, mm-hmm. you know. This what, is an awesome article, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, written by Lindsay D. R. Cangelo. Yep. Uh, female reporter. There we go. Um, just kind of uh, pointing out each team what moves they might try to make this off season. What are the big questions surrounding them? Um, we're not going to go through every single one today, but Freddie, which uh, team kind of intrigues you the most right now? Uh, there's a couple really intriguing teams. Uh, and I think that uh, I, I got, a, I got some backups in case, you know, we picked the same one. Um, I think for me, okay, there's a couple teams that are sort of like, which direction are you going to go? But I think a team that I'm really interested in um, is Phoenix because I think, you know, you, you have to assume Grinder's going to come back. You have to assume that Skyler is going to leave. But they have, you know, potentially the second overall pick. And that could be an absolute game-changing player. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean in regards to Brittany, uh, Diana, um, and this new player? Like, what is that chemistry like? And obviously, the the season was really rough. Like, it's like you, know, you had this amazing kind of uh, return for Brittany. But then, but then also... It was, it was kind of, you know, the team was losing a lot and they, it was underwhelming. Right. So I feel like they're just not a team with those two players that can, you know, decide to tank. Like they're not going to do that. They just did that. So how does a team like that retool in a way where they feel like they can put these, these legacy players in, in a position to win? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. And like, what are you like this? You know, talking about players' potential last seasons. Who knows how much time someone like Diana Taurasi has left? She yeah. did look great last season. She did. 
you know, and she reached that 10,000 point mark and everything. And like, she's still going strong, but she's also literally in her forties now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously like she doesn't have a ton of time left and how are you going to utilize that? I agree. So it's like, yes, they're going to have this game changing, you know, draft pick potentially, um, who will likely be the future of the franchise. If it mm-hmm. ends up being that type of player, which is great to be able to start the career with players like Tarasi and Griner. Yeah. Oh my God, what a gift that is. But also like talk about extremely different timelines. I mean, I don't know how you mold those together and I agree. And I wonder if like they're going to attempt some to go after someone else in free agency because Skylar Diggins Smith, that's a big hole to fill. Huge. I mean, they were a playoff team with her. And they're not a playoff team without her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree. They are a very intriguing team uh, going into next season. And I'm also very curious about them. I think they're a great pick. My pick um, is the Washington Mystics. Yeah. Because um, they are a good team. But they also, um, you know, they're kind of that stuck in the middle right now and also they are constantly dealing with injuries and this article is suggesting like do they move on from elena deladon that didn't even occur to me because it feels unnatural for that team to kind of exist without her but they are kind of in that place where it's like we're not beating the liberty or the aces and they're constantly injured and where do we go from here does this team decide to move on from them and then you know rebuild which would drastically alter other teams Mm -hmm. who pick those players up and try to make a huge run so that is super interesting to me if they choose to do that if they re-up which feels more likely then it seems like it's going to be more of the same again i feel like even if they do re-up it's like they're they're kind of like a couple players away still yeah from being like really competitive where i feel like a team like you know, you could argue the Minnesota Lynx are, you know, one or two players away, but they're mm-hmm. also like such a new team. Yeah. That they're not feeling that kind of pressure yet where like the Mystics and like, to, I feel like to a lesser degree, Dallas. Um, also, just because I don't think, I mean, Dallas has been together for a while, but not, you know, Satu Sabali had a breakout year. It's not quite the same as like the sort of stuck that I feel the Mystics are in right now yeah the the ceiling feels visible you know for yeah the, for the mystics and uh also i you know i'll add in uh i'll add in uh natasha cloud who mm-hmm. sort of ha- had this really kind of like like almost like a farewell tour vibe to her um you know like w w playoffs so with cloud and deladon it's kind of like Okay, hold on. First of all, you, you like even if you bring both of them back, kind of like you're saying, you you might be a bit stuck, and also you're stuck at this like playoff entry level. That doesn't seem promising enough. And you know, I'm looking here; they they have the sixth pick, 
And yeah, I haven't been through enough W drafts to know how often picks are traded, but it makes me think about a team like, you know, we just talking about uh, Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Does Washington say we will sign and trade cloud? We will sign and trade Deladon. Give us your, give us your, you know, obviously the lottery hasn't happened. That's December 10th, but you know, give us your second, third pick and you want to go all in. We want to rebuild, you know, yeah. I, want, yes, I wonder exactly. if something like that's possible for this team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Wow. Trading that second pick would be pretty wild, but yeah. this um, is obviously just pure rumor speculation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know if they would give up that second pick, but you know, they could give up a Sophie Cunningham and maybe future picks. Um, you know, maybe not this year's, but the next two years or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Like the, I feel like something like that could be in the cards for this off season. So definitely, um, you know, intriguing prospects here, let's say that we will, uh, keep our eye on. Um, obviously the, uh, NCAA tournament is happening. Everyone's eyes are on Caitlin Clark rightfully so uh she's killing it right now um iowa did just lose to kansas their first loss of Mm -hmm. the season um we you know friday and i cover both the nba and the WNBA, so it's hard for us you know to cover a third league on top of our uh day jobs and things like that but we have seen some highlights and are keeping on top of this obviously it's going to be a huge WNBA draft year um like we already said uh but just early on here in November what has impressed you the most about Caitlin Clark yeah so you know I I think you said we we are are kind of new to the college world however I think this is this is a you know the best possible time to get into it because we're understanding the implication of the, of the draft and how, you know, these franchise altering players, um, you know, are, are just like mega, mega stars. You know, a lot of people saw the Iowa game with, with Clark, uh, the outdoor game that, you know, was like 50,000 people or something outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, like a massive, massive story and a massive kind of like uh, legacy that's building. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, obviously I watched the highlights from, from last, uh, last season's tournament, but kind of getting into it earlier here, um, the highlights from the, the first two games were, were, were fun. You know, I, my, my, I think initial take or sort of, you know, it's, this isn't sort of, um, not, uh, you know, it's, it's not new, it's not super insightful, but the distance in which Clark can shoot from and speed of the release is a game changing part to any team that she will play for. And it is a special thing to watch because similar to Sabrina, similar to Steph Curry, when you have a shooter that is that lights out from that far, it absolutely just changes the dynamic of the defense and it compromises everything the other team is trying to do. And it's like, there's like a magic trick element to it. Like watching someone launch from that far, that confidently is exciting. It's mm-hmm. so exciting. And, you know, I mean, I, I I won't take all the points, but I'll just say built into that is, is just a million counters that Caitlin clearly has. Right. So like you play her that tight on the three, she can break you down. She can pass. 
you know, just really, really a special player. Um, I agree. And I think I just, in addition to all of that, another thing I've been impressed by is just the triple doubles. Cause I think it speaks volumes yeah. to how well-rounded her game is already. She does um, already look like a pro out there and um, yeah, really uh, looking forward to watching her the rest of this year, looking forward to March madness this year will be uh, more on top of it. And um, that's all we really have to say about it right now, but it is yeah. November. So we'll have, it is. it's early. Yeah. We'll have more to say as, uh, as the year goes on. Um, Freddie, it is time for our fun question. Okay. Here. Yeah. Take it away. So uh, my fun question is, uh, is also media related. Uh, there was a interesting Kelsey Plum um, uh, Fox news article um that you know talks about the, the the branding of superstars in the league um and, and it was making me think like what's what's another way um to to market stars like if me and you were in charge of making this happen what is an approach that you would take to get more eyes um on the stars of the game um well i have a very silly idea I love it. You know, like the like I feel like you know, the NBA has basketball wives. Okay? Oh, I love this already. And the WNBA doesn't have basketball wives. And I think that would be really really fun. Honestly, say less. <laughs> My idea is like so kind of like serious. <laughs> Yours is so funny and immediately better. It would be No, stop. No, when you hear my idea, like your idea is is that's a that's an explosion waiting to happen. Like people would watch that. People, people would, be would watch that. People would be obsessed with it. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's like, yeah, that's this this is why this is why we do it. This is why mm -hmm. we do Freddie's fun question for <laughs> incredible ideas like that. Engelbert. Get at us. Get at us. Um, yeah. What's your idea? Well, it's not as good as this one. Stop my it. Idea, no, Just my say idea, your idea. It is good. Um, I have two. Uh, I've said before that, um, you know, if you're a sports fan, I think particularly, uh, you know, someone who's like super into something, you're not who who is, you know, who who leagues are trying to bring in. But when you think about people who just love the human story, whether it's like the new Beckham documentary or the the Apple thing with Messi or Drive to Survive on Netflix or the, there's a golf one now, 30 for 30s, et cetera, the, the, I think the W just is so in need of um, like, you know, picking two stars, like finding some narrative and following players throughout a season. Like that kind of human element. Mm -hmm. uh, the Raptors have like open gym. Yeah. Which is, you know, you get to see players in a different light and fans love it. And I think that that is sort of, but I've, you know, I, I've said, things I agree. Like that. we should, we, they should do that. Like it just, it's gotta happen. And, you know, we, we've seen people like that would bring in a lot of new fans. Um, I'm watching what, uh, you know, welcome to Wrexham season two right now. And, you know, I love it. And so anyways, that, 
that that's been said by us before, but I just did see something new, which I loved. Uh, the NBA is following the lead of the W in with the in-season tournament. Um, the commissioner's cup, which we make so much fun of. Uh, but I think that I, you know, I did watch an in-season tournament game where I was like, this is good. I like that they're doing this. And it was uh, on League Pass and it was called uh, Hooper Vision. And basically it was the game, but almost like Zoom style, you know, there's a game on the main screen and then you have three little screens with players talking about the game as it happened. And they weren't calling the game like broadcasters, but they were just sort of like riffing and talking. And I think they got major like stars. Like they were on the bench? No, no. It was like they were they were talking about the game as it was happening like in their living rooms. So the game was Golden State versus OKC. And it was Darrell Wright, um, who's an older brother of a, a player, uh, DeLon Wright, Quinton Richardson, and Kevin Durant. And all three of them were talking about the game as it was happening. Oh, wow. They were talking about, you know, whether, you know. And this was on League Pass. This was on League Pass. And I'm like, I'm like, could you imagine how much more exciting a Commissioner's Cup game would be if you have whatever, you know, uh, Diana and, um, you know, Agumike and, you know, you know, Plum just like talking. Uh, and it could be former players too, right? That's what I think was it could be really exciting about. It. Imagine you had Bird just watching a game, telling you what she thinks, what she sees, what she knows. That really kind of brings in a different type of fan, and I thought it was cool. Very cool. It's kind of like the director's cut version in a way. It, it's exactly like that. Yeah, very cool. Um, all right, well, r- real house husbands, the winner. <laughs> let's wrap it up there. Uh, thank you everyone for uh, checking out this episode. You can follow us at the Pickup WNBA Pod on all your social medias. And uh, thank you again. We'll catch you next time. Okay. See you later. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.